This is Christopher Mad Dog Russo's Digging Up the Past, an historical podcast taking a deep dive into the 10 greatest Major League Baseball teams to never win the World Series. Welcome, folks. Digging Up the Past, Christopher Russo, we give you the third installment of our podcast series, subject this time, the 10 greatest baseball teams that never won a World Series. Now, we had a committee, the 10 that we chose. The one caveat, of course, is the core of that team did not go on either prior or after and winning a World Series. For example, look at the 19 Dodgers, the 2019 Dodgers. They won 106 games. That's a great team. They lost to the Nationals and the NLDS, but they won the next year. So you can't put the 19 Dodgers into the equation. So we make sure that we handle it uh, from that standpoint. Now, this particular episode will be focusing on the 01 Mariners, and they're as good as any. And to tell the story of the 01 Mariners, you, you got to rewind it because you got to go back to 95. This is kind of when the Mariner franchise turned the corner, got good, had some runs, got their new ballpark. And away they went. The 95 team, of course, was the first team in their franchise uh, to make the postseason. They beat the Yankees in that wonderful series uh, in, the, uh, in the fifth game when the play by uh, Griffey scoring all the way from first base on the Edgar Martinez double against New York before they lost to the Indians. Uh, the core of that ball club was the Jay Buners, the Randy Johnsons, Ken Griffey. Edgar, of course, Martinez turned out to be a Hall of Famer, but that was that group lost to the Indians in that six-game series uh, in the ALCS. But they were a good team in the late 90s. They made the playoffs. But, you know, listen, it's Seattle. Uh, you know, they don't have that new ballpark yet. They're still playing the Kingdom, and they're going to have to make some moves from an economic standpoint. The first one they made was 98 at the deadline. They had to unload Randy Johnson. He was going to be a free agent at the end of that year, so they shipped him to Houston for a collection of a a lot of good players, including pitcher Freddie Garcia, who's a good pitcher for Seattle, and shortstop Carlos Guillen. Now, remember about Randy, he was only on that Houston team for that half a season, and they really were an excellent team. We actually thought about including them in our group here, in our top 10. They won 102 games, but lost to San Diego in the first round of the playoffs. The Padres, of course, ended up losing to the Yankees after they had beaten the Braves in the NLCS. So that Randy leaves after 98, and then Griffey leaves after 99. He is obviously one of the best Best players in the sport, him or Bonds, and obviously center fielder. Now, he only had one year left on his contract. He was a pending free agent. He didn't love a safe go because it wasn't a, as hitters friendly as, um, as the kingdom was. He also wanted to give a crack playing back at home, Cincinnati. So the Mariners, no long-term deal, and they traded Ken to the Reds, and they got a lot of players back, including a big player in Mike Cameron, who was a very good center fielder, a useful offensive player, so they were not left holding the bag. They got a good player for Griffey from that standpoint. Obviously, they added A-Rod. A-Rod's first big year is 96. A-Rod helped the Mariners have a good year in 2000, but he opted for free agency. No way Scott Boris was going to keep A-Rod in the Pacific Northwest, sign that huge deal with Texas. That is one I'm sure he lived to regret because he ended up with the Yankees, a short time after that. Jay Buhner still on his team. Buhner had good years in the late 90s. He kind of tailed off there and a new century dawned. And in 2001, this 116-win Mariner team, Buhner only played 
in 19 games. So it's a long-winded setup, but the Mariners were good, and they made some good trades with some older players, big players, and they got that team together pretty quickly when they went to Safeco. The only guy who was really part of the team in the mid-90s who was still with the team with this particular club that won 116 was the aforementioned Martinez, DH, obviously a Hall of Famer. They lose Randy, they lose Griffey, but in 2000 with A-Rod, they won the American League West. They won a round in the playoffs and lost to the Yankees in the ALCS. That Yankee team beat the Mets to win a World Series. And then after that year, when they knew A-Rod was gone, they made a very smart move because they signed Ichiro from Japan, the first ever positional player from Japan to sign in the big leagues. You know, we all know how good Ichiro was. He was coming off seven straight batting titles in Japan and three consecutive MVPs. So this is a big-time player, and they won the Rookie of the Year, which is a joke. But Ichiro here is a great Great outfielder. We all know what kind of offensive player he was. So he kind of set the tone. Him and Cameron Olerud, they kind of set Johnny Olerud. They kind of set the tone for this all one team. Now, when you think about spring training in 2001, his first look at each row, you know, Mike Cameron knew that he was going to be a big key to his ball club in this upcoming year. Here's Mike. Primarily, it was Ichiro who was, took the charge and kind of took the lead by storm. And we kind of followed the lead. Not a, just a table setter, but a tone setter for the whole league. And just for him being able to do that as a, a quote-unquote rookie, you know, in the major league, he took us to a new height. Now, Lou Pinella was the Mariner manager. Lou had, of course, won a championship with the Reds 11 years earlier, so he knew what he was doing. And Pinella knew that, uh, you know, Ichiro was going to be a very, very good player. He was a little worried, Lou was, of Ichiro making that transition to the major leagues. We knew that he was going to be a good player. We really did. We knew that uh, he could play defense. We knew he could run. We knew he'd make contact. The only thing that concerned us was, can he catch up to a major league fastball on an everyday basis? Because they throw a lot harder in the United States than they do in Japan. But let me tell you what, after three or four games in spring training, Ichiro was hitting the ball to left field only. And, and one day I, I told the interpreter, I said, look, tell Ichiro I'd like to see a little bat speed. I'd like to see him pull the ball. So he goes into the corner and huddles up with Ichiro. They're both smiling and laughing a little bit. Two innings later, Ichiro's leading off the, uh, the, the inning. He gets a high fastball. He hits it into the right center field bullpen for a home run, runs around the bases, steps on home plate. Comes to the dugout and he says, happy now? I said, yeah, now you can do the hell you want. The rest of the (laughs) Few weeks through spring training. Mariners get a little sense of what they're going to be about here in 2001. But, uh, you know, they had a pretty good team. But they did struggle heading into the regular season. This bothered Pinella, who wanted them to have a renewed focus as they approached April. We actually play okay in spring training. I remember... You know, Lou was adamant about winning at all the time. Mike Cameron. The one thing Lou did was, like, he kept an edge at all times. He didn't care if it was spring training. And so we were going into the last couple of weeks struggling a bit. And basically what we did was uh, Lou had a, he had a meeting and told us that there ain't no light switch. I'm sorry, fellas. This, has no one ever had a light switch coming out of spring training, uh, going into the regular season and expect to be play, playing well? And he, he and it was in another tone, obviously. And he told us that, you know, last year is over with. Yeah, we had a good run last year, but we back at it again and we gotta put it together. And uh after we had that talk, I think we went twenty and five the first two months of the year coming out of the, in that two thousand one season. Mariners get off to a good start. They kept that momentum going. 
Off they go, winning game after game after game. And as Mike Cameron mentioned, the man that kept that engine churning was Ichiro. Swung on and a ground ball back up the middle. That is into center field for a base hit. Here is Guillen to score and on to third, McLemore, Ichiro. You are unbelievable. My, oh my. Terrence Long is lead over at first. Here comes a 3-2 pitch on the way. Swung on and a ground ball punched into right field for a base hit. So heading to third base is Long. The throw to third base and they've got him nailed at third base. On a tremendous throw by Ichiro. Swung on and a little blooper hit into shallow right field. Coming up, Ichiro makes a sliding catch. An amazing out to end the ball game. My, oh my. The pitch swung on and hit to deep left center field. That's going to go all the way to the wall. Ichiro on his way for two. Ichiro on second base will make the turn there and hold with an RBI double. My, oh my, Ichiro. You are just too much. The pitch on the way and a high fastball bounced into the hole on the right side for a base hit. Here's Batista around third. The throw to the plate and Batista is meat. He is dead meat. What a throw by Ichiro. My, oh my, he's done it again. Those calls by the late, great Dave Niehaus. All right, listen, Ichiro's a Hall of Famer. We all know that he's the spark. We get that. But listen to this statistic. And Mariner wins in 01, his batting average, 393. In losses, 242. That's all you need to know. When he hit, they won, and he hit a lot at 393. So he chose the key to the team. They're just not a one-man gang. They got a good ball club in Seattle. Not, not unbelievable, but a very, very solid team. And if you talk to our pal, MLB Network's Tom Verducci, plenty of guys on that club that opposing pitchers had to be worried about. It was a fun team to watch. They put the ball in play. They had great pure hitters. You know, Ichiro, Edgar, Olerud, uh, Boone had his unbelievable year with batting in every kind of run imaginable. And he was a great two-strike hitter because he was really he was eating up our RBIs. He was seeking RBIs, and he would chase pitches out of the zone just to get somebody in from third base. It was fun to watch that team play. Right, as Tommy mentioned, a good lineup. You know, obviously, Ichiro, they had Edgar. The aforementioned John Olerud at first base. Brett Boone had a career year at second. You had Cameron, who had popped 25 home runs. It's a good team. Boone, Cameron, Olerud, Edgar, Ichiro. It's a nice ball club. General manager is Pat Gillick. He's a Hall of Famer. Did a tremendous job. He put together a talented roster and a roster that lost Randy, Griffey, and A-Rod. And, that, and Buner. Very, very good job um, by the GM. End of July, they're well on their way to winning the division. They were 76-30 and 30 as August hit, and they were 20 games ahead in the American League West, 76-30 and 30 right out of the gate. But what the Mariners did not have, the one thing that hurt them, and it was not going to rear its ugly head in the regular season, but it was dangerous come postseason, they did not have a true ace on their pitching staff. This is where Randy Johnson came in. They did not have a stopper, and that was the problem. They chose to stay quiet at the deadline and roll with what had been working, but Cameron thinks that may have cost the Mariners in several ways. Chris, to be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I felt like Lou left. Because he, he always wanted a left-handed, left-handed power hitter, and he always wanted a power arm on the starting staff. Um, I think maybe we may have added like a couple of additions here or there, but any, a big move, we didn't really make any big moves, and that seemed to be our downfall every time. We just 
didn't have enough. You know, we didn't we – we, when we were going into playing these teams like the Yankees, you got to be fully stocked or your guys got to be hot. And when you're facing number one starters, you're going to have to have your battles cut out trying to win ball games. All right, Cameron mentions Lou leaving. Pinella chose to leave after the 2002 season, despite having another year, another year left in his contract. Inability to put all the pieces together, create a championship roster. I'm sure that played into it. It's fair to speculate that frustration played into his decision despite being part of an organization that had 100 wins over the previous three seasons. I remember Pinella was the manager long before that, too. He was there a long, long time. The Mariners kept on winning ball games after the deadline and in late summer. They had a big series in New York against the Yankees at the stadium, and they took two out of three from the defending world champs. A future Hall of Famer uh, was certainly impressed with the Mariners. I remember it being August. Mike Cameron. And I remember being on second base and Gita came behind me. He's like, you guys been playing pretty good? I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, we'll see you guys in October. And I knew what that meant already. Everything goes <laughs> in New York at that particular time. Remember, coming into 01, Jeter and the Yankees, they're the team that beat in the American League. They had won the four titles in five years, three in a row. They won 98, 99, and 2000. Of course, they beat Atlanta in 96. You know, if you're going to get through the American League, you're going to have to go through the Bronx. It's as simple as that. They did play the Yankees nine times that year in a regular year, and they won six of the nine games. But, you know, with the Yankees, it's October. It's a different scenario, so keep that in mind. All right, we roll into September, a month before October, and with 16 games to go in a season, the Mariners would make something official that had been presumed for months. Kazu trying to end it and start the celebration. The one-two pitch on the way now. Swing and a high pop-up. This will do it. Calling is Brett Boone on the outfield grass. And the Mariners have won their 106th game. And, of course, are the 2001 Western Division champions. All right, let's talk about the record now after they won the division. The Mariners needed to win their final seven games to break the 1906 Cubs record for most wins during the regular season. They won five in a row. Chance to tie the record in the second-to-last game of the year. They're facing division rival Texas as their former star player A-Rod stepped to the plate, representing the tying run in the ninth inning. And this place is set to explode. And now Suzaki is set. And now the right-hander is to the plate with the 0-2 to A-Rod. Swing! And a foul tip into the glove of Dan Wilson, who hangs on to it. And no baseball team in history has ever won more games than the Seattle Mariners. As it turns out, Seattle ties the Cubs record and with one game remaining had a chance to claim it all to themselves. Believe it or not, they fell short to Pat Mahomes and the Rangers. I don't even remember that. I wasn't that focused on how many they get. They got the 116. They almost, of course, had the 117. We know Mahomes, the father of Pat Mahomes, quarterback of the Chiefs. Mariners kick off the playoffs. They face the Indians in the best of five American League Divisional Series. They split the first two games in Seattle. And with game three in Cleveland, the Indians win it 17-2. So here's the Seattle team that won 116 that dominated throughout the year, won the division by a landslide, and all of a sudden they got to play a road game where if they lose, they're out of the postseason against the Indians. Backs to the wall, 
right out of the gate in postseason play. With the Mariners showing signs of being a little bit of a paper tiger, Cameron says you can't really overlook this Indians team. Do you know how tough that team was? That lineup they had over there in, uh, in, uh, in Cleveland? Tommy at first. They had Alomar at second. Vizquel at short. Travis Fryman at third. Kenny Lofton in center. That team was solid, man. So, you know, we took our lumps a little bit, and we played well, though. Top of the seventh of game four, it scores tied at one. So game four, 1-1, seventh inning, and they're down 2-1, and they won 116 games, and they're on the road in Cleveland. That's dangerous. Seattle threatening to take the lead, man in scoring position. Rookie of the year, MVP Ichiro steps to the plate. On the ground, right field base hit. Gonzalez has the ball. Firing to the plate. Not in time. That's a huge two-out hit. Seattle gets the lead. They hold on. They win. They get a game five back in their building in Seattle. The Mariners would send Jamie Moyer to the mound, the crafty lefty. He won 20 games that year and finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. He faces off against another veteran lefty, Chuck Finley. Game, though, is in Seattle. Scoreless first inning. Mariners load the bases in the second for Mark McLemore. And the stats are piled up against him. Only one hit. In this series so far, he's not hit lefties well all year. How about that? Left field. Cordova trapped it. Two runs in. That's all the offense uh, that Moyer and his team needs. They neutralize the Indian bats. They win the game 3-1. to one. They're in the ALCS. And they get the big bad Yankees after the Bombers dispatch the A's. In their divisional series, I mean, remember, they were 2-0 down to Oakland in that series. They won the last three games. That's the famous Jeter playing game three. It takes a little magic to win as many games as the Mariners did in that regular season. And that magic surfaced again in this comeback against the Indians. Could it continue against the mighty New York Yankees? Stay tuned. It's Mad Dog Unleashed with Christopher Mad Dog Russo. I don't have to know Passion. Be aggressive. Get something done. Hear the knowledge. The game, folks, is about two plays. And that's what it comes down to. Hear the personality. I'm going to start here in an angry mood. Get somebody on the radio! That has made him a sports talk legend. Does that make any sense to you? Dodge you crazy. It's Mad Dog Unleashed with Christopher Russo. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Channel 82, or anytime on the Sirius XM app. Free for most subscribers. Seattle finished the year 21 games better than the Yanks. Yet Tom Verducci felt that the matchup was pretty darn lopsided. I can't find one game that's in Seattle's favor. Not one. And I can't even say I could find one that was a wash. I mean, they're running out there. Garcia, Sealy, Jamie Moyer, uh, Abbott. And the Yankees got Pettit, Usina, El Duque, Clemens is the fourth starter. Rivera's in the bullpen. I'm like, how are the Mariners going to win a game? Because every pitching advantage starts out against them. So the Mariners won 116 games and the whole world's picking the Yankees to win this series because of that pitching. New York was attempting to win their fourth straight title. We mentioned that. Riding an emotional wave, of course, because of the 9-11 tragedy. So here we go now. All right, the best of seven series in this ALC. The Mariners have home field, first two there. And New York wins both games. Pettit wins game one, Andy Pettit. Mike Mussina wins game two. So all of a sudden, they win 116 games. Trouble against the Indians, they get out of it. 
But now they get in the Yankees and they turn around and lose the first two games to Andy Pettit, who knew his way around a big game, and Mussina, who is a Hall of Famer. That's a tough way to start. They go to New York now. They got to play three games, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. First thing they got to worry about is just making sure they don't get swept. Mariners finally broke out in game three. They scored 14 runs, five against El Duque, and they dominated that Yankee bullpen, scoring seven runs in the seventh inning alone. Moyer pitched. They win the game going away. Game four now. This is the hard one. They got to get this game. Don't face elimination at the stadium. You get that game. It's 2-2. At least you die at home if, in fact, you do lose. This is very, very important. Paul Abbott and Roger Clemens uh, go out there in game four. They pitched very well, scored us through seven innings. Mariners break through first on a Brett Boone home run. That solo blast gave the Mariners the lead. And manager Lou Pinella felt now was the time to turn to his bullpen in the bottom of the eighth inning. So Abbott pitched well. Boone hits the home run. Here comes Arthur Rhodes, who the Yankees owned. Uh, he had a great regular season, ERA under two. But he always had trouble against the Yankees. Uh, previous year, they got they buried him. He strikes out Justice, Dave Justice, to start the bottom of the eighth. The next batter, however, Yankee center fielder, Bernie Williams. One out, no one on. Bottom of the eighth, one nothing Seattle. It'll be a 3-2. Swung on and hit high in the air to deep right. That ball is high. It is far. It is gone. Bernie goes boom. He drills a home run the short way in the right field seats. Burn, baby, burn. And the Yankees tie the ball game at one. Rhodes gets out of the inning, but the damage was done. He has to get that ninth inning with a one nothing lead. He does not do so. Obviously, Mariano is brought in by Joe Torre. Pitches the top of the ninth. Why not? You're at home. Get yourself a situation where you got a chance to win it. Quick work of Seattle. So then Pinella's got to bring in his closer, Kaz Suzaki, who had a great year. Finished second to Rivera with 45 saves. He gets Shane Spencer to start the inning. The next batter, Scott Brocious, singles. And that brings up rookie Alfonso Soriano to the plate. We're tied at one, bottom of the ninth. And the right hand of Sasaki is set. And deal. Swung on, hit high in the air to deep right center field. Back goes Ichiro on the track at the wall. She's gone! Alfonso Soriano wins the game with a two-run home run over the right center field wall. The Yankees win 3-1, to one, and they take a 3-1 lead in the American League Championship Series. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win! John Sterling on those calls. Uh, all that enthusiasm from John. Uh, you get a kick out of him. A walk-off like Soriano, just a crusher. Seattle had an eighth-inning lead. Chance to get to 2-2. Rhodes kills him with Bernie. And then, of course, Soriano's hit. There you have it. Now they got to face elimination on a Monday night at Yankee Stadium. That is, that's, that's impossible. Plenty of drama in that fourth game. And after losing, however, in that walk-off fashion, you know they'd be in big trouble. And the Yankees made sure they would leave no doubt early in game five. Into left center field, well hit. Cameron back. Gone. Two-run homer, Williams, 4-0 Yankees. O'Neal hits it deep to right. There's another run on the board. Paul O'Neal makes it 5-0. Tino Martinez into deep right. A crowning ball here in the eighth. I remember this game well. 12-3, game was over, late innings. And a Yankee faithful at the stadium. We're going to serenade the Mariners 
as you knew they would as their season comes to an end. That's when all those great chants began echoing all over the place with overrated. Overrated. You know, that kind of thing. Oakland's better. You know, that, that stuff. The Yankee fans really let Seattle hear it. Athletes always like to tell you they block noise out from fans. They don't hear it. Nonsense. 12-3, late innings, game five, season's coming to a close in nasty fashion. They hear it. I mean, come on. You can't block that out. You know, Mike Cameron heard it. I can guarantee you that. Oh, most definitely I remember. How can you not remember? It's like 50,000 people chatting that. Like, I don't care what nobody says. You hear stuff. You can't. You don't hear everything, but when the whole stadium is in sync, singing this or, or chanting this, yes, you're gonna hear it. And yeah, it, it kind of it, it, it was. Uh, I thought that that was gonna be our chance to go to the World Series that particular year. So I definitely thought that that, that was our, our year. We we shown that we could beat the Yankees consistently, but just not in the end when we were supposed to. Seattle wins 116 regular season games. They get out of that Cleveland series, luckily. But they only won the one game in the ALCS. Uh, the Yankees back to their fourth consecutive World Series. Listen, when you, they were underdogs anyway, as we've discussed. When you lose the first two games at home to Pettit and uh, Mussina, you're in huge trouble. Uh, and everybody in the world knew it, including our own Tom Verducci. This gets back to that era. and You've been out there at the ballpark with me so many times at Yankee Stadium for those postseason games. And the Mariners probably secretly were rooting for Oakland to pull that series out because it was so tough to win a game at Yankee Stadium in those years. My line used to be it was like watching Gilligan's Island. You know, no matter what happened, there could be a Coast Guard cutter off the coast of the island. Gilligan ain't getting off the island. You're at Yankee Stadium. You may have a lead early in the game. You're not winning the game. Thinking back, Cameron, he thinks the 0-1 Mariners were missing just one thing. Uh, most, most definitely. Lou always said it, that we needed – he always – he loved power pitchers because he, he just thought that, you know, in the, in the summertime and in the fall, they were going to be – you know, you need, to, you need to miss some bats. You need to get some outs by missing bats. And we didn't really have those guys to do that. So our guys had to pitch kind of, you know, really careful against a really good um, team that didn't swing at many balls. They didn't chase a whole lot. Uh, they made you work, and most of the time they always had a couple guys on base and someone would bang one out. No question about it. You can't have Aaron Seeley start an elimination game on a road if you're going to go out there and be a championship team. You know, listen, Seattle, that's a rough way to go. I remember leaving the ballpark myself, listening to Lou Pinello on his post game talk about the Yankees starting pitching. 116 wins down the drain. Let's get out of Yankee Stadium, get to the airport, get back to Seattle, and try to forget about this and sort of enjoy the fact that we did win 116. We asked Mike Cameron if that was, in fact, the case. Chris, I wish it would have went that smooth. We actually took a vote to decide to stay in New York that night or leave the next day. So we all decided to leave that night. Little, lo and behold, lo and behold, our kitchen on our, on our plane caught on fire when we were 10,000 feet up in the air. We had to turn around and come back to, to the airport and sit for a few hours. So we actually didn't leave uh, New York till about 12 o'clock the next day. That is a disaster. Yes. 10,000 feet, 10, feet in the air, there was flames in the kitchen? Yes, yes, there was flames in the kitchen. We had a couple, you know, that's when we had the families on the flight also. So Arthur Rose's wife was pregnant and she was going crazy. And, 
it was uh, ballistic, man. So it actually caught on fire twice. The second time, we actually had someone on the flight who was a mechanic or whatever. We put it out then and, and went on from there. But the first time, we did not leave New York. We were in the airport when the people started to come in. We were sitting like in a little room, special room, waiting on them to get the, uh, the flight fixed or the airplane fixed. So it turned into a rough day that day. Oh, my God, Mike, rough. That's the worst day of your life. What do you mean rough? That is a disaster. You lose the game. They're singing overrated. You get in a plane and the thing almost blows up because of a fire. Oh, my God. That is as bad as it gets. Is it not? Yeah, man. Yeah, it was bad, man. It was bad. It was bad. It was. But I tell you what, I lost sight of that loss real quick when that plane caught on fire up, 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 up that far up in the air. So, you know, it was bittersweet, that's for sure. How about that for a day, huh? Here it is. You get ambushed by the Yanks. You lose two out of three at the stadium. You go quietly. You get on your plane to go six and a half hours back to the Pacific Northwest, and there's a fire on board. You can't make it up. A fire on board. They got to reload, go back to Kennedy, and away we go. What a way to finish the season. Now, when we return, good spot. You won't want to miss it. We sat down with the manager, Lou Pinella, to dissect the 01 season. There's plenty more ways to listen to Mad Dog Sports Radio than turning to Channel 82. Miss any of the shows live? They are all available on the SiriusXM app. Great video content from Morning Men, Adam Shine, and the doggy himself. Have a laugh with Babchick from the basement. Plus podcasts like Digging Up the Pass and the Adam Shine Podcast. And make sure to check out the Mad Dog interviews and highlights tabs for more great content. It's all available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. So easy to use, even a dog can do it. Now, if you don't know Pinella, let me give you a quick history lesson. Part of those great Yankee teams in the 70s. He was a very good hitter. Won a World Series as a manager of the Reds in 90. And plenty of success with Seattle, Tampa, and the Cubs a little later on. Our conversation with Sweet Lou. Truthfully, the the most important time in spring training to get ready for the baseball season is the last couple of weeks. You don't have to win every day, but you have to go out there and, 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 and play aggressively and get ready for a championship season. The last two weeks, that's exactly when you do. You set up your rotation. You use your bullpen the way you want to use it. You play the lineup that you want to play. And, and, and truthfully, there's a good correlation between getting off to a good start when the season starts and how you play the last few weeks of spring training. So, yeah, we did push the team, but I had a bunch of great kids over there. I'm telling you, uh, I remember that team very, very well. Pat Gillick uh, was my general manager, and he did a superb job of, of getting me the talent. We got off to a great start and, uh, and played good baseball all year long, all year long. I think we cooled off a little bit after September uh, uh, 11th uh, when, when our – yeah, yeah, after, after September 11th. But right. let me tell you what, we had a great season. We really did. And New York, boy, they, they had an interesting s- series with Oakland. And I was actually hoping that the Yankees would beat Oakland. And we beat Oakland all year. I got what I wished for, but not with the same results. I thought we mm-hmm. could compete against the Yankees, but boy, were they good. We'll get to that. We'll get to the Yankees series. Did you, you lost A-Rod in the winter. Was there a little chip on the team's shoulders to prove to the world they, they just were not about A-Rod in, this, in, this, in spring training to prove how good they were in spring training of 01? 
I think so. You know, you know, we had lost some 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 key personnel. We lost Junior a few years before. We lost Randy Johnson a few years before, and then we lose a Rod. And uh, yeah, it was it was a challenge for us, and we we challenged the team, myself and my coaches, saying, "Look, uh, this proved that this is more than just a, a one man team. Uh, let, let's 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 go out there and play the way we're capable of." And like I said, Gillick, what a nice job he did of putting the team together. I had some speed, I had some good defensive ability, I had some power, and then he picked up Ichiro from. Uh, Japan uh, that that winter and and Ichiro got 260 hits leading off unbelievable yeah great team Luda just sense no nobody thinks 116 wins you obviously got off to a wonderful start that team clicked for you pretty quickly talk about that for a sec go ahead yeah listen I had good versatility I mean I had a, a pro at first base John Olerud I had Brett Boone at, at second base at shortstop, I had a kid that we got in the Randy Johnson deal uh, uh, again. And yep. at, at third base, I had David Boone now that's managing the Cincinnati Reds. Right. My catcher was Danny Wilson. And my outfield was Cameron in center field. And, you know, he had to step into his big shoes when Junior left. And he really played well for me. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete and a wonderful human being. Each row was in right field. And in left field, we platoon with Mike Lamore and uh, Stanley Javier. So I had a really, really nice team. I really did. A good offensive team. It was a type of team that I liked to manage because we could put the ball in play. We could hit and run. Uh, we used a bunt. Uh, in other words, and, and then I had some power also. Boone had a big year. I had the best right-hand hitter I've ever seen in uh, Edgar Martinez as my DH. What a, what a professional hitter he was. I knew we were going to be good. 116 wins. How can you envision something like that? Oakland won 103 games that year and finished 13 games behind us. Hard to do. I know you also went into Yankee Stadium middle of the year, and uh, Cameron mentioned this to me, Louie, and you won four straight games against the Yanks at Yankee Stadium. Now, that ought to be sweet for you. Give me some thoughts on that. Go ahead. Well, look, it was always fun for me to compete against the Yankees. It really, really was. I mean... I, I, I wore my Yankee uniform with a lot of pride. Uh, it's the best years of my life in baseball I spent there in New York. But I'll tell you what, uh, it, it was always fun for me to compete against the Yankees. And I remember that. We went, we went to Yankee Stadium and, and we played awfully. We played good against them all year. I'll tell you what, uh, I thought that we would play much better against them in postseason. But when you look at that Yankee team, my God, the starting pitching that they had, I'll tell you what happened to us, Chris. What happened to us, we got stretched to five games in the Cleveland series in the first round of the playoffs. Right. And I had to start, I had to start the series with my, three, my, my number three starter, which was Aaron Seeley. And Aaron Seeley, he was a wonderful pitcher. He just couldn't beat the Yankees, and I had to start with him. And the Yankees, you know, they had Clemens, they Pettit, they had El Duque. So, I mean, it's one after another. And, and what, we, what I found out more than anything else from that series as a manager is that hitting is important, but boy, starting pitching and a closer like Mariano Rivera, you can't beat that combination. 100% Lou. I remember that press conference after that game five, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, did you, did you actively shoot 
for the, for any records. I mean, you beat the Indians with the 111. You won 116, which tied the 1906 Cubs. Were you aware of that? Did you push the envelope to set the all-time record at the end of the year? Let me hear that. We really didn't. You know, I had a, uh, I, a we brought Pat Gillick down into the clubhouse, and, and we talked to Pat about going for the record or just to get ready for postseason. And Pat says, look, we've come this far. Win as many games as you can. But look, I did rest my team in September. I really did. I rested my everyday team. And we, we stayed in rotation, but I shortened up my pitchers. My best pitcher that year was Jamie Moyer. And Jamie Moyer pitched exceedingly well against the Yankees. Freddie Garcia was my second starter. We had gotten him on a trade from Houston also in, in the Randy Johnson deal. And he pitched well, but let me tell you what, when you're facing the guys that I'm talking about, Clemens, uh, Duque, Andy Pettit, you're talking about guys that really belong in the Hall of Fame. And, and, and uh, listen, uh, it, it was just too much to overcome. And then after se- seven innings, you got a two-inning closer like Mariano Rivera. I was disappointed that we didn't play any better in postseason, but I gave the Yankees a lot of credit. And Joe Torre did a wonderful, wonderful job with that team. Yeah, let's do the Indians here, Lou. You win 116. You know, you figure out a way to get your team ready. And you actually, you were down two games to one, and you had to win the last two games in Cleveland. So, I mean, it wasn't like you cruised by the No, Indians. it wasn't easy. No, it wasn't yeah. easy. Cle- look, take a look at Cleveland's team, Mad Dog. I mean, Cleveland had a wonderful, wonderful team. They really did. And uh, they pushed it to the brink. We had to win the last game in, in Cleveland to make it 2-2. And then we came back in Seattle and beat them in Seattle. But, yeah, Cleveland was a wonderful, wonderful team. And, you know, the Yankees. They had their hands full with Oakland. Oakland had them beat also. And the Yankees escaped that. And then when, when they came to play us, they were, they were on a high. They really were. And, uh, boy, did they play well that series. But when you look at that Yankee team, Tino at first base, you had uh, Jeter at shortstop. My God, you had Bernie Williams. You had Posada. You had the guys I'm talking about on the mound and, and the closer like Rivera. I mean, it was just a great, great team. What can I say? Uh, but boy, let me tell you what. Take a yes. look at that Yankee lineup with the kids that they had in the lineup. My God, Tino, O'Neill, Jeter. That's a great team. Uh, yes. Posada. No, it's a great team. And then you add the pitching and, and, and you add Mariano to that in the bullpen. And my God, it's unbelievable. It's, uh, yeah, they had, they had brochures there and everything else. Cameron said he noticed it and he heard it. I was in the ballpark, and I was rooting for you, Lou, like hell. I was in the ballpark, and the Yankee Stadium crowd kept on chanting at the end of game five, silly pitch, and you got killed. Kept on chanting, Oakland is better, overrated, overrated. As a manager, did you hear that? Yeah, I heard it. Look, the Yankee fans, <laughs> they're unique. <laughs> they, 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 they know the game of baseball. Uh, the reason Oakland played better against the Yankees, truthfully, than we did is that Oakland had some really, really good left-hand pitching. And that's how you could beat New York, with left-hand pitching. It, it was very hard beating them with right-hand pitching. And you look at, at, at Oakland, they had Mulder over there. They had Zito. I mean, they had some really good, left-hand, good left-handers in their bullpen. So uh, that, that was a reason. And I heard the Yankee fans. Look, I love the Yankee fans. I really do. They cheered me on when I was there. I, I was fortunate that I had a name like Lou. They could boo you or Lou you. You wouldn't know the hell of the difference. <laughs> <laughs> but, but let me tell you what. Let me tell you what, though. They're, uh, 
they're special. They really are. And, 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 and the amazing thing is when September 11th came about, we were in Anaheim, California, playing the Angels. And we were stuck in Anaheim for four or five days because we couldn't get out of there and get a flight. And when we landed in New York and they took us to ground zero and showed us a devastation that that city had gone through and then took us to the police wards and the fire wards and see these families that had lost their loved ones and so forth. What a traumatic experience. I mean, it was wonderful being there, but I think it affected us a little bit too. And, and, uh, I was happy for the city of New York. I really was. I wasn't happy that we lost, obviously, but I was happy for the city of New York because they they needed they needed some 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 uh, some unity. They needed some winning, and and they needed something to root for. And the Yankees were were, were that were that uh, conduit for. Uh, uh, Cameron told me the team plane story on the way home with the kitchen catching fire at ten thousand feet. Uh, right yeah. after the game, and you had to fly back to Kennedy, Lou. That's a long yeah. 24 hours. How about that for a sec? Go ahead. Let me hear. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we, we, we uh, got on the airplane and decided to go home that night. And, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we're 10,000 feet in the air, and all of a sudden the, the sirens come on on the airplane, and the mass drop down, and, and before you know it, there's a fire in the kitchen. And the pilot says we're going to have to go back to uh, – uh, the airport, we're going to have to get back to Kennedy Airport and uh, uh, and take care of this problem. But don't worry, we'll be safe. And we landed there, and then we stayed there the rest of the night, and finally we got on a plane the next day and flew back to Seattle. But let me tell you what, though. I was so proud of our team. Uh, this is a team that had lost Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, Alex Rodriguez, and, and to put together a team that, that won 116 games. I had a, a great team for the, for the uh, regular season. You know, we'd face the other teams, three and four starters, and, and we can match up against them a little better. But then postseason, when you, you're facing a number one or number two starter every day like the Yankees have, you've got to be deeper than we were uh, pitching-wise. But let me tell you what, Pat Gillick, uh, uh, the players, my coaches, what a job they did. I was so proud just to be the manager of that team. Did it bother you, Lou, to lose to George, or you didn't care? No, no. Look, I, I love George. I mean, I, I had a love-hate relationship with George. So he put me into the managing business where probably nobody else would have taken a chance on me. And I, 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 I so, so much enjoyed the years that I had over there in, in New York for the 11 or 12 years I was there as a player. No, I, I, no I, I, look, I was happy for the fans in New York. I was happy for the city of New York. George, not quite as much because he loved, you know, George loved to beat your butt if he could. And, and I, I, I learned that from him, and I, I felt the same way. No, no regrets, right, Lou, with Seattle? I mean, now you got beat by a better team despite the 116. You can live with 2001, correct? I can live with it. I really can. Look, I don't like losing. I really don't. That's, that's one thing I can tell you. Very, very competitive I, I put the uniform on to go on and compete and beat you. Uh, if I wanted to be your friend after the ball game, that'd be fine. But during the ball game, we were there to do a job, and that was to win. And I wanted to beat the Yankees in the worst way in 2001. I really did. It just didn't work out. The Yankees were a great team. I salute them. And, and after sitting back and, and, and thinking about it, there's very little that I could have done different in, in that series. And one of the things that I would have done, instead of start sealing in game one, I would start it, 
I would have started Paul Abbott to pitch the, 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 uh, the, the fourth game. He had a much better changeup, and he threw just a little harder than Seeley did. But Seeley pitched for me well all year. But when you look at, at, at that decision, uh, I, 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 if I had to do it all over again, I would, I would have started Paul Abbott in, 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 in the championship series against the Yankees. He would have had to beat Roger Clemens. That's no easy chore either, believe me. Another one of our great teams that comes up short, the 0-1 Mariners, a little bit of a paper tiger. We get that, but still, they did win 116 games. Plenty of offense. Ichiro clicked all season long, tied the 6 Cubs with the win total. But when it came down to it, they just did not have enough. They could have used Randy Johnson. They didn't have enough dominating starting pitching. Good pitching, but to win a championship in October, you need great pitching. Pat Killick's a Hall of Fame GM, but for whatever the reason, he never went out there to try to replace Randy at the top of that rotation. We see it all the time with these teams. If your starting pitching isn't strong enough, even with 116 wins in each row and Olerud and Edgar and Boone and all the Cameron, it's difficult to win a world's championship, even with that kind of regular season success. For more episodes on baseball's greatest teams to never win a title or listen to previous seasons covering the history of Thanksgiving football in the NCAA tournament, download the SXM app, free for most subscribers. Download it today and search digging up the past or subscribe to our feed wherever you get your podcasts. Digging up the past is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Bill Zimmerman. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Andrew Emmer. Sound design is by Matt Damro and Joey DeFazio. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for Sirius XM. Special thanks to Sirius XM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, vice president of sports programming, Eric Spitz, and Mad Dog Sports Radio program director, Steve Torrey.